Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Underpowered Hour. On this week's show, Edmonton Land Rover Theft Solved, a tip-top tool tip all about broken fasteners and the best way to remove them. And we talk vintage Land Rover models, but not the ones you think. And now, here's the show. Welcome to the Underpowered Hour. I'm Steve Barris, mild-mannered television executive by day and Land Rover collector by night. You can find out more about our cars and what we're working on at thebarriscollection.com or follow us on Instagram at thebarriscollection. I'm joined, as always, by my good friend, Ike Goss. Thank you to everyone joining us today. I'm the leaking roof to Stephen's leaking roof. I'm the sodden crotch of podcasting, Ike Goss. I own and operate Pangolin 4x4 in Springfield, Oregon, where we live and breathe Land Rovers. Check us out online on Facebook, Instagram at Pangolin 4x4. Let's get started. All right, Ike. Well, uh, speaking of uh, speaking of sodden uh, crotches and uh, wet roofs, the, uh, the brand new Defender uh, is now certified as a Defender uh, in that during the last big rainstorm we had here in Los Angeles, uh, the roof started. Oh, so, no. Yeah. Got a little leak around the, 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 like the, the grab handle above the driver's door. Mm-hmm. A little drip, a little drip right down on your leg. Do the, the fasteners for that grab handle, do they pass all the way through the skin of the roof? Yeah, they come right out the, the roof. If you if you feel there's like a little bump, you're like, oh, that's what those are. Yeah, it's just covered with a small plastic clip that they've put on the outside of it. A little cover goes over there. Oh. And uh, yeah, no, I don't know what it is because it it it, it only rained. Uh, you know, it rained here for like five days, but the the roof mm-hmm. only dripped for like part of one day. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if some water got in somewhere it wasn't supposed to or something, but it isn't it isn't dripping anymore. So either it's just completely saturated and now it's just like a sponge getting more and more full mm-hmm. uh, or, or it, the, the problem corrected itself. I don't know, but uh, it's probably like a reservoir of water up in there, you know, just like waiting to like slosh up. out as yeah. soon as you go around a particularly sharp corner. Can't wait. It's going to be great. <laughs> it's going to be great. Well, the, uh, the new discovery, the discovery five that we had for a little while, it's Lynch, it's windshield leaked so much. So, and this was a, like, this has happened to tons of people that the dome light at the front of the windshield uh, fills up with water and you can actually see it's like a bubble level you can see as you go around corners it yeah. sort of sloshes in there put yeah. a little fish in there it'd be adorable yeah. just you know yeah a little 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 companion on long road trips tiny yeah. little aquarium in your yeah. Land Rover. it's really cute yeah, i always tell really people cute. that the the most watertight land rover is the one with a soft top 
like oh, the soft sure. tops. Yeah. So basically, if your roof is made of a tarp, that's way more that's... watertight than an actual roof. On well, a let's Land Rover. let's be honest. At a certain uh, every uh, every Land Rover during its life uh, has a tarp for a roof, uh, be it a metal roof or a or a soft top. At some point, a regular tarp just becomes a roof. So why not just start there? You know, yeah. it makes sense. I think it makes sense. Yeah, we should do a, a tip top tarp tip about uh, Land Rover. Tarp. Oh, we should. We should fabricate. Maybe we could uh, work with our friends at Undercover Covers in the UK to make us one out of a harbor freight tarp that'd be that'd be pretty sweet that'd be pretty sweet so speaking of uh, harbor freight tarps uh the uh, world uh leader in the use of harbor freight tarps uh the uh, edmonton alberta and uh, as you know they have had a rash we talked about this uh, last a spate week, a spate if you will of uh land rover thefts but you have a breaking news update uh, on true. the Edmonton Land Rover thefts. It's true. It's true. Yeah, the detectives have been hot on the trail of the Land Rover thieves. And uh, just now, they have apprehended the criminals. So uh, they have stolen, I think, seven Land Rover vehicles, yeah. newer Land Rover vehicles, yeah. using uh, hacked key fobs yeah. to yeah. steal them. Yeah. And uh, they, they caught these gentlemen. They, they, they were like, the police were driving along. They saw a vehicle that was acting suspicious and it had uh, plates that matched a vehicle that was reported stolen. Mm -hmm. And uh, they, they started a pursuit and uh, chased these gentlemen back to their parents' house. <laughs> it was two, uh, two oh. 20 year olds who uh, had stolen all these cars and hacked them and so forth. Yeah. And so uh, they uh, tracked them back to their parents' house where they found uh, two additional stolen Land Rovers. So they've recovered four of the seven, I believe, that were stolen. And, uh, yeah, they're facing criminal charges. Uh, yeah. Yet another April. reason not to go to Edmonton. But, but uh, uh, all's well yeah. that ends well. Hopefully yeah. those people get their cars back. And yeah. uh, uh, But the bad news is it is uh, spreading. So oh, no. uh, whatever mechanism by which they have stolen these Land Rovers mm -hmm. has mm -hmm. uh, propagated through the Internet. and Likely now, the, dark, the dark web. The dark web. And now... <laughs> There's a, another rash of Land Rover thefts, only worse, oh, in no. Glasgow, Scotland. Oh, 28 Holy newer God. Land Rover vehicles have been <laughs> stolen there. Whoa. So wow. uh, I think yeah, that's is, a lot. It's, it's going to continue to be a problem, I think. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it sounds like that's a, there's some there's some there's a there's a glitch in the matrix there. They've uh, they need to work on the key fob security, uh, possibly, if it's that. I easy thought or... those things were supposed to make cars harder to steal. I feel no. like I feel like it's harder to steal an old series Land Rover because it's just harder to drive. And to start, I leave the keys in all of my and no matter where I park, I leave the keys in because like if you can start it. You deserve to take it, you know, like then it's yours. You it's know, like it's like a gypsy curse. If yeah. You, if you can drive it, you're cursed to own it. Cursed to own it. Yeah. I hope that someone will take it. You know, that's like, yeah, it's, it would be amazing. It's like the opposite of stealing something. You yeah. get one of those and you lose all of your money. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's definitely a monkey's paw situation going on. You steal yeah. you know, somebody's, uh, somebody's Land Rover. Yeah. No, I feel like if you can get it started, man, then you, uh, then you, then you deserve it. You've worked to, you've, you've worked as so, uh as you're out there uh you know trying to crank start my series three then hey if you if you get it going it's all yours no problem i'll be interested to see if there's a, a software patch for this uh yeah yeah you would particular think so. spate of thefts it's not good yeah that's not good i you know and and it's funny because i was chatting with someone with a new defender the other day and i had my my f-150 my my lightning and it 
just uses the phone now. It doesn't. You, there are key fobs for it, but they just sort of stay at home, and you you sure. use your phone to open it and everything. Sure. And uh, and they were complaining that uh, like, oh, why doesn't Land Rover, you know, uh, let you just uh, use your phone to open the car? Because you can unlock it um, remotely with uh, with your phone. You know, if you can be in the in the right uh, wind at the right time of day, in uh, you know, in the in the particular uh, phase of the moon that you can like log into that app and get it to pair with your car, then you might be able to unlock it every once in a while but you can't you can't drive it doesn't act as a as a key and it's funny because we were talking about this like uh you know even just with the key fob they're getting stolen all the time i don't think adding an iphone into the mix there is the <laughs> is the right thing ask anyone with the uh with the uh onboard uh dash camera system from land rover um as there i don't think there's ever been anyone that has gotten the app to work I don't mm-hmm. think that, uh, yeah, it's, it's the code is like, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And you type that in and nothing happens and time's out. And it's, yeah, it's a good time. But anyway, you know, uh, there was a, a time at which I think when I was uh, younger, uh, there was a particular garage door manufacturer mm-hmm. and there were there. It became widely known that their garage door uh, openers could be hacked very easily. And so thieves would just uh, drive through neighborhoods and like, uh, you know, <laughs> click the button and see yeah. whose garage door went up. And I feel like bike. that's that's what's yeah. happening with Land Rovers. <laughs> These thieves are just driving along just with fobs and just seeing which one beats. Which Range Rover <laughs> yeah, beats. Yeah. Well, there you go. And that's why uh, you should always be uh, chaining your new Velar down to a parking curb whenever you, uh, you stop. Uh, or park bench, garbage can, uh, your bus uh, shelter, whatever. You just wrap a quick chain around there put a bike lock on it and you're uh, you know you're 100% safe. Speaking of fasteners and fastening things and removing fasteners, I uh, understand that you had a little bit of a saga related to uh, some stuck fasteners recently. Well, as you uh know, Ike, anytime you offer to help someone um on their car, mm-hmm. uh there will be a bolt that will break on that car. It is 100% uh the mm-hmm. case. I have uh, as you do cars that are, you know, 70 plus years old um, and uh, actually have a surprisingly few number of broken bolts. Um, but no matter the the age of the car, if you offer to help someone quickly do something on their car, 100% chance that that bolt is going to break and you're going to be there for the next uh, for the next couple of weeks. But um, yeah. we uh, we are undertaking and by we, I mean, I'm watching Abigail uh, replace the water pump in her uh, 90s Miata, the flip up, uh, you know, the blinky light uh, Miatas mm-hmm. and a uh, very adorable car. And uh, right. and she's a, a, a fairly competent mechanic. But like any of us, uh, you know, if you if you break a bolt, uh, you're going to have a fun evening. So we've uh, we've spent the better part of this afternoon trying to remove uh, the rest of a bolt from the thermostat housing uh, of that uh, Miata. And uh, man, I uh, I went through every uh, I went through every option. I so did. tell us a little bit about what is in your bolt removal quiver. Yeah. So we started with, uh, you know, so the bolt breaks off. Okay. Sure. We were lucky because it turned then into just a, a stud. You know, we still had bolts above the the flange of the, the ceiling flange of the, uh, of the thermostat housing. So we had bolts sticking out, which mm-hmm. is much, much easier than bolt flush, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. You know, a okay. little, little, little bit easier. So, uh, you know, first thing we did was we try, uh, you know, just can we can we get a little bit of penetrating oil, a little more penetrating oil on there and a little bit of a vice grip? You know, can you just kind of clip it and just is it a little just need to knock it loose? Is it so 
rusty that it just needs a little you know it needs a little and i like to go i like i, I go a little back and forth i never try to just you know kind of go all the way out i find okay. that i like to go you know i like to kind of go back and forth a little bit give it a wiggle you know give it a wiggle you know just okay. a little wiggle right see yeah. if you can work that penetrating oil in n- nothing i mean nothing at all like it is like you know there's no it's like trying to move the you know how your house off its foundation is not going anywhere so okay so then introduce a little a little heat with i got the little torch you know i've got mm-hmm. my little micro torch is try a little one bit of for that. the use on like creme brulees and stuff that's right i got my creme brulee torch because it's a nice <laughs> spot you get a little piece of aluminum behind it you hit it with the creme brulee torch heat it up just a little bit you know see if a little bit of heat well, a little bit of heat did not do it next inductive heater so i don't know if you have the bolt sweater the uh, the inductive. Uh, I've seen where... these. I don't possess it, but Ooh. I've seen these. Well, I'm gonna get you one for your birthday. Birthday's coming up soon, and uh, there might be an inductive heater in your future. Because man, I'll tell you what, you especially bolts in uh, an aluminum block, uh, mm-hmm. it works super good, and it gets them. I mean, you can get you can melt the bolt with the inductive heater. You get it. You can get it cherry red with this thing, and no f- open flame. Um, although if you've just used the penetrating oil. And then you use the inductive heater on it. You will start the uh, the covering of the inductive heating wire on fire. Um, I've heard. Certainly, I wouldn't have done that. But uh, but I know better now to clean the clean the bolts really good. And then inductive heat it. Get it super hot. Try it again with a little bit of the you know a little bit of the, the just to you know move it with the before we try to destroy the stud and put shavings everywhere and everything. Yeah, just trying to work it out. Still nothing. Okay, so now we go to the uh, the stripped screw remover stripped bolt remover uh, or stuck bolt remover and uh, drill out a little bit of the top of the bolt and then put the, you know, left hand, left hand thread um, drill bit, left hand drill, and then the, uh, and then the screw remover in there. Try to get that out. Which type of screw remover do you have? I have both the helical kind and the, uh, and the, like the short throw, sort of bitey kind like i've got the i didn't short try throw the one bitey that, kind is that a short throw bitey kind. it's a little tiny like the little tiny guys <laughs> and the really long guys they're both kind of like left hand screws right but one mm-hmm. has those like long you know sort of sort of long helical ones and the other has the really short sort of tight little threads tried both have you ever used both the, the have you ever used the splined pin type oh i don't know i don't know that i've ever have yeah it's it, you drill a hole yeah and then you drive the spline pin into the fastener and then you put a, a special hex nut mm. that has a female spline on yeah. the inside yeah. over the spline pin, and then you turn it out with a wrench. Oh, I have not tried one of those. They work sometimes. They work sometimes, yeah. Anyway, not to interrupt you, continue. I have the ones you can pound in, and they have a nut on the back of them, sort of, and you can you can get it that way. But this was just too small. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a thermostat housing bolt, right? So it's, it's little. You know, it's like a, maybe a, maybe a quarter 20 size metric because it's on a, a Mazda, but, it you know, like quarter 20 size, not huge, right? You don't have a lot of meat to work with uh, there. So tried some more heating, tried some of that. Um, and then finally, uh, the nuclear option, uh, welding a nut to the top of the bolts and turning it out that way, which uh, which we did. And the bolt broke off. The weld broke off the as it was so rusty, mm-hmm. uh, even after getting in there and mechanically cleaning it with a Dremel and getting in there. And so finally, then the 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 sort of hail mary option because the I have to say welding a bolt onto it or welding a nut onto it almost always works, especially for like an engine stud stuck like that. I find that to be a pretty uh, you know pretty foolproof that uh, you know you get a good tack on it and and normally that does it. Um, but uh, this uh, the the last chance was to grind flats 
onto uh, onto two opposing sides and uh, and get the uh, you know get the really big, really expensive uh, vice gripping pliers out and knock those things on there and then just slowly get it. And finally, you know, that satisfying little click of the uh, of either the fastener breaking, which for a second you're like, oh, shit, I made it worse, uh, or it or it finally breaking the uh, rust you, and letting go. You ever use a, a bigger vice grip to to pinch a smaller vice grip closed? Ooh, I haven't. That's a, that's a good idea. Like nesting, like Russian nesting vice grips. Yeah. You ever, did I ever tell you that I don't like Russian nesting dolls? Why is that, Ike? Because they're full of themselves. Uh, well, you have quite a bit of experience with uh, oh, man. with broken fasteners. As you, I would uh, say I've spent most of my adult life removing broken bolts. <laughs> so at, at work, I, uh, you know, working on old vehicles and old motorcycles and especially old Land Rovers, I do a lot of casting repair. So things like exhaust manifolds, removing yeah. and uh, replacing the studs in those mm -hmm. uh, winches, you know, mm -hmm. a lot mm -hmm. of those get abused, bolts get broken off, um, transmission and engine castings, you know, inevitably there's there's one or more fasteners uh, broken off or the wrong fastener is threaded into a hole. Yeah. And so there's a lot of things that we do to remove fasteners, to repair you know, the threads that are in a casting. And yeah. maybe that's a topic for a separate uh, discussion, you know, on uh, repairing threaded holes and threaded uh, fittings and that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, there's a number of different things that we use to to fix these. And, and the first step is usually removing the broken uh, fastener. So mm -hmm. uh, I've done a lot. I've done ev virtually everything that you've described there. You know, I, I don't, possess an induction heater but i mm -hmm. typically do use uh one of two different torches yeah. um you know the map gas torch mm -hmm. works great for a number of reasons it's compact it's pretty small yeah. and you can you can heat up a fastener and uh you know a lot of times um you know heating it up a little bit is enough to get yeah. a fastener moving and uh, whenever there's somebody at the shop that's struggling with a broken bolt or something i always say have you heated it up you know, <laughs> that's you? always that's usually like the first the go-to yep. the first yep. thing is to get it warm get it moving yeah. and it, it yeah. makes sense you know yeah. you want to expand uh the material so that the the you know mechanical between the fastener and the um the the casting uh it breaks it, it and usually the goal is to expand those two materials at different rates so if you can you know, focus your heat on the fastener and then cool it down and then focus your heat on the casting. You know, usually you can get those things to expand at different rates and sometimes that's enough to get the fastener loose. So uh, breaking the rust, uh, you know, the, the bind between those things, um, that's that's one job. And then the, the other job is to loosen the fastener to turn it out. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you've got to get a way of, of turning the fastener and then another way of of getting it to loosen up. So, uh, you know, the first job, the loosening of the fastener, getting it, to, and sometimes both of those things work together, right? Yeah, like, so yeah. you described a situation where you're heating it and then you're trying to get it to break free with the, the vice grips and you're working it back and forth. So, you know, that can work if you have enough uh, stud or bolt, broken yeah. bolt sticking out. You can grasp right. a hold you of it and, it, and occasionally that works. But, you know, most of the time when it's pretty stuck, that doesn't work. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, we do all manner of things, everything from, you know, uh, striking the fastener with a hammer once it's hot to, to get it to shock 
the mm-hmm. fastener to move it a little bit. And to, if you can get it to break free a little bit, then you can start turning it, grinding a slot in yeah. a larger fastener and using yeah. impact driver yeah. on that slot. You know, sometimes you can get away with that with a large fastener. Yeah, nice big fastener, yeah. Yeah, big fastener. You know, the screws in a window track, you know, sometimes those mm-hmm. uh, break free and you got to use a tiny little punch and kind of uh, teach direction, kind of back and forth, work yeah. it. And, and then you can grab a hold of it or, like you said, weld the nut to it. And you described that as the nuclear option. I would say there's a there's an option beyond that. But, um, you know, y- you mentioned that uh, it's very difficult to get a bolt out that's broken flush or below the level of, yeah. the, of the surrounding casting. And that does make it difficult. Um, we do some things like if a fastener is broken down in a casting, we'll actually use a TIG welder Mm. to build up the fastener so that it's taller, right? So Mm -hmm. that it sticks up a little bit further and then we'll TIG weld a nut to that broken fastener. Yeah. And that does two things. It heats the fastener Mm -hmm. in a concentrated way. Mm -hmm. And then it also gives you something to turn the fastener out. So it's kind of doing both of those jobs, breaking the fastener free, and then also giving you something to turn it out with. So that's another method that we use sometimes. And sometimes it takes more than one application of the heat. And it takes more than one nut. So sometimes we'll go through maybe even a dozen nuts and, you know, welding down in a casting is tricky because you don't want to weld the nut to the casting. You don't want to damage the threads in the casting. Mm-hmm. So oftentimes you're limited in the amount of surface area that you can you can use to attach that nut when you're welding. So the first few times, maybe it will the nut will break off. You know, your your the amount of surface area that you have is is not an ideal circumstance. You're welding mm-hmm. in less than ideal circumstances. So that weld will break. But the continuous application of heat and then pressure with the turning, you know, sometimes you can, you can get those really, really stuck fasteners to move. I think the key is really patience. You know, you have to look at this as like a geological process, right? You can like, you can (laughs) do anything, give it enough pressure and time. And you just have to apply that pressure and give it enough time. So heating it, soaking it with penetrating oil, cooling it off, you know, uh, raising the temperature, lowering the temperature and adding, you know, some penetrating oil to get down in those threads and to help break it free, I think is, is really a nice thing or an important thing when you're doing stuff like that. I would say the nuclear option is, you know, there's two things, obviously throwing away the casting. That's one thing. (laughs) Getting a new car. Or cutting it away. And and sometimes that has happened where there's a a fastener in, um, usually it's an aluminum casting where the fastener is, uh, sometimes it's cast around the fastener. And then it's, it makes it very, very difficult to get it out. And you have to actually cut the casting away, yeah. weld the casting back up, remachine it, drill and tap a new yeah. hole. And drill and tap uh, a new hole, yeah. And, yeah. and maybe that's a, a conversation for another episode where we talk about thread repair yeah. and uh, fixing threaded uh, insert and adding inserts and adding into inserts, castings. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that would be a good uh, topic for another day. But uh, removing fasteners is its own skill, its own art. And people are good, who are good at it are actually in pretty high demand. There's people who it's all true. they do all day is repair castings and remove yeah. 
broken fasteners from them. Yeah. There are some great YouTube channels. I'm trying to think of theirs. Uh, we'll put it in the uh, in the show notes or on Instagram mm-hmm. or something. The uh, there's one machine shop in the uh, Midwest that uh, that's one of the things they do all the time on their uh, on their YouTube channel is get and they do a lot of vintage John Deere tractors and things. They do a lot of these like vintage uh, tractor motors and these cars have been in our tractors rather have been sitting out in a field full of water and raccoons and whatever else for uh, decades and they will restore these engines and they get fasteners that are like it's insane like the, the kinds of things that they go through uh that they go through to do it they've done you know tig welding little bars onto things to give it a little bit of leverage to turn in all these little yeah. tricks that they have uh to to maintain the you know a lot of this like cast iron block stuff that you know if it's if you crack it it's a whole thing and so they're it's pretty neat stuff but yeah you're right people who are good at it are good at it uh chris is particularly good at it who doesn't listen to the show but uh, refused to come and help today so, <laughs> so, so uh, yeah you so. you you bring up a good point you have to be careful and this uh you know this happens periodically you know if you're working with cast iron especially and you're heating it in a very concentrated manner like right around a fastener if you're not heating up the whole casting you can heat that part of the casting at such an uneven rate that it cracks the yeah, casting cracks it, and yeah. then you're like oh man cast iron's a little bit harder to deal with an aluminum or a steel you know uh fitting or uh, casting so in those cases it it definitely makes it even worse so yeah you know first you break the bolt and you're like, and then oh you destroy, no you then destroy you, the block <laughs> then you crack the casting you know yeah you, anything can be fixed even yeah. an engine block or you know, whatever you can stitch it or you can repair it, but it, it definitely complicates it. And the amount of labor that you pour into something, you know, starts to get exponentially right. bigger, bigger <laughs> and bigger. It's still and bigger. worth it. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. you're like 30 hours later, you're like, man, you know, yeah, this was just one bolt. I this is just together. one bolt. <laughs> yeah. And they, uh, yeah, that, that, uh, I'll, we'll find the name of the, of that, uh, channel, but they do, uh, like the propane, uh, like the roofing, uh, heaters, the uh, mm-hmm. uh, blowtorch flamethrower things mm-hmm. onto the casting while they're doing that kind of machining and block extraction. And when they're welding on them, especially they have the whole block heated with these, a couple of these propane torches to bring the, you know, heat level of the total heat sink of the casting way up so that they can weld on it and they do they bake things in ovens to fix them and stuff and like all kinds of it's really neat it's really neat it's people who understand how to work with those types of materials like really well and do it all the time they've got all these incredible tricks for like oh yeah well you just bake that in an oven for 45 minutes and then you hang it upside down spray it with bug spray and start it on fire for two minutes and it pops right out like well yeah yeah, they they have like uh color sticks you know you it's like a a pen uh, almost but it's actually mm-hmm. like a, a resin or a chalk and you mark your casting and and as you heat it, it changes color and you can kind of get a sense of where your casting is at. Yeah. Especially if it's aluminum, it's really helpful because yep. aluminum doesn't change color doesn't change like color. steel does. But uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of different methods and, and sometimes you got to get creative in a certain spot. It's very difficult. You know, you got to weld some things together to get a tool to put some pressure on a fastener or you've got to apply heat in a way that doesn't, you know, burn something that's nearby you know that sort of stuff but it it can be fun but it also can be a real chore especially if it's in an awkward spot under a car up in some recess of a compartment or whatever but usually you know if you're if you're persuasive that's and right. persistent, and the persistent. two P's, you know, yeah. you're persuasive and persistent. You'll, you'll get the job you'll done. You'll get the job done. Yeah. As I said to Abigail, all things eventually yield. 
It's just a matter of time. That's all. You just have to you have to put in the hours to get uh, some of that stuff done. But uh, well, bolts out now uh, successfully, and uh, you know, we'll see. Yeah, now only you know basically the entire motor has to come apart to fix the water pump. So other than that, <laughs> no problem. Excellent design. Uh, <laughs> great really design. Well yeah, great design. So speaking of great design, a new uh, new segment uh, on the show is we will almost never uh, revisit a segment. We only ever come up. Uh, with new segments. So uh, another <laughs> another new segment, uh, one we're calling uh, Vintage Land Rover Models, which okay. uh, is uh, all about uh, vintage Land Rover models. And we don't mean different types of uh, full-size Land Rovers. We mean tiny little Land Rover models. Oh, and, shoot. Uh, I was thinking it was going to be like pinup girls on That's Land right. Rover. That's a different segment. We'll get to different that. Segment. We'll get to different that exactly. Uh, Ike and I in a variety of different 1950s pinup girl outfits uh, uh, <laughs> draped across various Land Rovers. Uh, let me tell you, it's a big market, big market for that, big market for that. But no, uh, tiny little, uh, tiny little Land Rover models. And uh, the the first one that we have uh, is one that you you own. Well, both of these you have owned, but currently own uh, beautifully patinaed uh, Bandai metal Land Rover. Yeah, I like the Bandai Land Rover. Uh, you know, I have a, I, I will say I'm always hesitant to get into Land Rover models. I feel like it's a, like, model railroading and and like dioramas and mm -hmm. like there's a particular type of person that's into that and i appreciate it you know like when you go to the the steam event and the guys are like they have their uh like scale logging operation like i find it really interesting yeah but also i don't want to i don't want to have like a model train layout in my house like no I'm not Nobody has that, that kind of space. Yeah. I wish I no. did. I enjoy visiting it. I, I like, yeah. I love people that have them and uh -huh. I appreciate that they put the work into it. But the thought of like, you know, placing all those tiny trees, I, there's no way, but uh, it's fun. To look I end, at. I I end up with at. a lot of scale landers. You know, people bring them yeah, to me, course, people yeah, tell me about them and, and I have a hard time helping myself. So I do have a little bit of a collection of these things and I do like them, but I particularly like the antique ones. You know, I like old Land Rovers, but I like old Land Rover models. So the new models of old Land Rovers, not, I don't get that excited about them. But, um, you know, when they're they got a little bit of age and a little bit of patina, they are pretty cool. And the Bandai one is one of these older ones. And I, I like it because it's a little bit larger scale. Mm -hmm. It's maybe eight or 10 inches long. And it's, it's from an era where uh, Japanese toys uh, they, they like in the sixties, late fifties and sixties, they made a lot of Japanese tin lithograph toys. It's got a good level of detail. It's got a friction motor, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm, it's a, mm -hmm. it's a one Oh nine wagon. And I feel mm -hmm, like most mm -hmm. models are either pickups or they're 88s yep. or, yep. you know, they're short wheelbase cars. So it's kind of unusual that it's a wagon. And, uh, like I said, it's that larger scale. If you look inside of it, it's got a really nice printed dash. Uh, it's actually mm -hmm. printed on the the steel mm. that they fold in there, and it it kind of has a just a pleasing color to it. It's like a nice nineteen sixties blue color. I feel mm -hmm. like a lot yep. of the later ones that were made in the seventies and eighties, they got stickers all over them. They're yeah. like oh, safari. Yeah. They're you know got a little plastic tiger stuck to the roof or something. All kinds yeah. of oh, wacky yeah, yeah. stuff yeah, to yeah, sell them to kids, shit. right? Yeah. yeah. And and this is kind of a little more plain, a little more basic looking. But man, it's it's got little tiny. Dunlop T29 mm -hmm. track grip tires, and mm -hmm. it's got, you know, a lot of neat little endearing features. So it's a, it's a cool model. And uh, they, they've gotten kind of expensive. I haven't yeah. looked at them in a long time, but they're probably a few hundred bucks, something like that. 
Yeah, for um, sure. It does seem that like the few that are uh, sort of on e- eBay and stuff are, uh, are, yeah, are well into the, uh, you know, sort of, yeah, about a hundred, give or take about a hundred dollars. Some, oh, uh, that's not so bad. Some, is, uh, some as much as 200 and, uh, and, and more depending on the paint job and if it has its tiny little box and everything. Yeah. Yeah. It comes they... from a time where everything came in like wonderful little cardboard boxes. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, kids toys and stuff all came in those really nicely printed little cardboard boxes. Most of them, I think, are like a blue color or a red yeah. color. Yeah, a lot of red. Yeah, I've seen a lot of red. Yeah, yeah. They're kind of, in, they're nice. They, they they look nice. They display nice. Like, it looks nice on a shelf. It's not like a, you know, it's not a real tacky model. It's it's classy. Yeah, it looks, it's real classy. It's real classy. It's, it's, yeah, it's uh, cool. Yeah, it it's is. Cool. It is. They're all really cool. And, um, you know, it's that, that's sort of the precursor to sort of the modern models, like almost real and, and some of those that make just really exceptional. And we'll have to talk about that. In the, yeah, in it, it, it was a toy and it's not a model. It's not supposed to be like totally 100% scale yeah. accurate. So if you're into that, it's not that, but it, it's, it's clearly you know, a Land Rover, it's, and it's yeah. a good likeness of a Land Rover, and it's got some neat features. And within the medium, within the pressed, you know, tin toy medium, it's, it's quite, quite a good one. And speaking of good ones, there's, there's another one that I like. It's, it's made by a famous tin toy manufacturer, the Marx Company. Yes. And uh, famously Marx... started by Groucho Marx. <laughs> he was a big fan of the tin toys, I believe. <laughs> so Marx made, uh, you know, a ton, an absolute ton of tin yeah. toys. Yeah. Uh, you know, from the 30s, I think, all the way through the 70s, maybe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, they made a lot of really neat toys, construction equipment, uh, you know, all these sorts of things. But at one time, they made a Land Rover model. And uh, the Land Rover toy is a a remote control yeah. Series 1 short wheelbase soft top. And it's it's quite accurate. They did a really nice job of making this. And it's also a large scale. It's probably also about eight or ten inches long. And being a short wheelbase, it's even a little bit larger scale than the the Bandai toy that we just talked about. Mm-hmm. And it, it's got a corded remote. You know, it's got a little yeah. battery, uh, a couple of D cells or something that go in there, and a little steering wheel on the remote. It's quite cute. It's quite adorable, and it and it looks really nice. And it's a pretty accurate model. It's a good scale, and it's it's chunky. It's a good size. It's it's a pretty neat one too. So. Uh, if you get remember, an opportunity, look that up. I remember having, I think it was a helicopter that mm-hmm. used that same like cable-driven sort of mechanism. And uh, yeah, same thing. It would you could kind of you had the little little corded remote sort of a thing that was would just spin a cable and that would cause the you know the the rotor to turn or anything. So it's they're very cool. I mean, it's a, yeah, they are really neat and it's a neat it's a neat model. There's a company uh, reminds me in the UK. In fact, this was in the Ottawa uh, Valley uh, newsletter, uh, Ottawa Valley uh, Land Rover Club uh, newsletter this uh, this past uh, I think the January newsletter um, about a I guess there's a one six scale tank replica company in the uk again i can't find the the note of what the name of the company is we'll put it in the show notes but um they are they're going to make a one sixth scale uh series one land rover an 80 inch land rover mm. um that Scalectrics, is right to this yeah scale electrics yeah i think uh no not the scale electrics not the uh not the slot car guys but this is like some insane uh like super accurate all metal you know tank building company oh yeah 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 okay. and for mm-hmm. some reason they're making uh, an 80 inch i imagine because it's kind of a military sort of vehicle of that kind of era and uh it, it can be yours for uh 1600 pounds 1600 pounds for that kit so that's a that's a big spend you know that's a, hefty, uh, that's a big um, boy 
I'm always tempted to put that kind of money into like uh, my actual real car, an actual actual <laughs> Land Rover. Yes, 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 yes. But you know, like a lot of people, they live in that city or whatever, and they like yep. Land Rovers, and they want them. They they don't have room for an actual car, so they have a model, and that's yeah, enough. A cool model, yeah. A good uh, friend of uh, of the family up in uh, Canada who has a beautiful TD5 Defender because you can easily have them there um he built for his little guy a uh one of the the toylander uh series one uh cars a little 80 inch uh, replica and uh first of all it's way nicer than my actual 80 inch and i guarantee you he spent more time uh building it than you would if you had just got a an 80 inch and and restored it um but it wouldn't be miniature and adorable so you know it's miniature yes but not that miniature there's yeah. a there's a fellow that lives in uh, town here, and he actually used to work for British Leland Ooh. in uh, San Francisco, I believe. Mm-hmm. And uh, his uh, name, I believe, is John Witter. And his house is a museum to model cars. Oh, so, cool. Yeah, every – the surface – he lives in a really nice place, but yeah. he has glass cases down every – wall every surface has a glass case and he has 143rd scale models of every manufacturer every model that he can manage to get so and if they don't make it he will make it so let's say for example like he's got a 1993 ford taurus right and nobody makes a 1993 ford taurus wagon nobody wants that no he will he will take the, the the standard model and he will make the wagon version and we should uh, uh we should do a walkthrough of his house because he does have a lot of land river models you know series uh, one series two 109 88 you know oh et cetera, wow et cetera, oh, well, next controls. time we gotta go we gotta go for a trip over that sounds amazing i think he has like 10 12 000 of these models holy shit it's amazing wow. that's amazing it's, it's pretty cool to walk through but yeah again it's not something you would want but it's nice to it's nice to have something like that to go and see. Well, like my friend Michael here in town that has like, uh, you know, 70 tuk-tuks, you know, it's like not something I want, but fun to go and see, yeah. fun to go and look at, you know, yeah. so. It's just like your Freelander. It's just like the Freelander. <laughs> speaking of, in conclusion of today's episode, speaking of the Freelander, as we've been uh, talking back and forth with uh, with Dixon and, uh, and with Bob Steele and the gang about uh, the uh, Greek Peak event and... Uh, uh, you know, Dixon's soft commitment to what I'm uh, loosely referring to as the uh, Land Rover Olympics, where uh, John Kostich and I uh, will uh, challenge uh, you and Dixon uh, to a Land Rover off, uh, John and I in a Freelander, um, and you and uh, Dixon in uh, an 80-inch uh, of your choice. And uh, I think, you know, I-, I think John and I may have the competitive edge only because you know you have some reverence for a for a for a 70 year old car right i mean that is a it's an antique it is uh, expensive to find parts for Mm -hmm. um they're very rare and you know shouldn't be abused on the other hand a uh, a freelander uh, I care nothing about at all, and uh, I'm willing to do things to that freelander to to win that uh, competition. That I I just don't think uh, you and Dixon can get there. So I think it's so going to give us the edge. I think that uh, that I have a competitive advantage because it, this is occurring in New York, right? Yeah. Right. So uh, assumably Dixon would be bringing his eighty inch. I, I would assume so. 
I would say that there's nothing more capable than a borrowed vehicle. That's touche. <laughs> good point. This is a good point. This is a good point. Well, you'll just have to stay tuned to see what, uh, as uh, John and uh, Dixon were talking about and Harold on their show this uh, this past week, that uh, we are uh, welding up a uh, tow bar to the Freelander so that uh, I can tow it to Greek Peak with uh, an 80 inch because that's far more reliable than trying to drive the Freelander there. It's a better chance it'll get Yeah, there. I think it's a better chance of getting there. So, well, stay tuned for more news on that as we uh, decide and we get situated and we figure out uh, what events we'll uh, be at this year and uh, and all of that. But uh, uh, with that, as always, it has been uh, it has been a slice. Please go and uh, check out uh, all of the uh, fantastic uh, YouTube and Instagram content that uh, the uh, the Ministry of Editorial Eliza uh, is uh, is churning out. Uh, at a uh, at a staggering rate, some really fun stuff with uh, Linus and the Winch Wednesday uh, video uh, that, Love we, that. Uh, we shot Love a that. couple of weeks ago. That was super fun, and uh, more Winch content, vintage Winch content coming out, and uh, possibly some Wench content. It all depends, you know. <laughs> Just you're going to have to tune in and find out. Uh, but at that, uh, all uh, all is well, and uh, we hope that uh, Dixon's uh, transition into uh, into freedom after his uh, brief incarceration uh, there in uh, the uh, Ontario State Pen is. Uh, that's all going well and getting ready for uh, Greek Peak. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you uh, next week. All right. See you on the trail. The Underpowered Hour is produced by Liza Barris, Ike Goss, and me, Steve Barris. Pavel Svartov composed and performed our theme music. Consider supporting the show on Patreon, and if you already do, thank you. Your support makes the show possible. For even more, check out our Instagram or Facebook.